All right, welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. Uh, JJ here in in what could be a surprise reappearance on the pod. Um, I've taken remarkably well to dad life uh, thus far, and uh, just you know, not to brag, but my my son is a uh, who arrived last Friday is one and zero as a Bills fan in Bills Mafia. He wore his little little Bills beanie to the pediatrician for his first visit, so. Um, yeah, the Bills had a good weekend, and, and I did as well, and uh, we're all back together. Dan, how are you doing? I am doing well, and I, I have to say, I know I said it a couple of times on the pod as we were expecting the arrival of Theo, but again, congratulations to you and your wife, man. Uh, dadhood definitely suits you, I have it to rocks. say. It rocks. It rocks. It does, doesn't it? There's nothing like it on the face of the earth. I have probably a third as much uh, sleep as I did prior to dadhood, but I have like an infinite amount more, more love. So it's so fun. Absolutely. It is the most joyous sleep deprivation you'll ever experience. So, sure, sure. so again, congrats to you too. And it is great to have you back on the pod, JJ. I feel like your return at a really opportune time. The bills who, when you departed, were in the midst of making their must win out to make the playoff run have thus far proven to be very, very formidable in their rush to the to the postseason here. So uh, as you know, we have handled the, our business with the Chiefs, as we discussed on our on our reaction pod a couple of weeks ago. Um, Dallas was the next in line of victims on the way to the Bills making their postseason push. Uh, and this week we have the the lowly but still worrisome L.A. Chargers. Like I'm, I'm on Bills Mafia, uh, Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, and now NFL Threads, and there is a, there is conditioned trauma in all of these chains because everyone is saying the word trap game against LA, and and I have to tell you, it may be arrogant for me to say as we get into it, I, I just don't think the Chargers are going to keep up with this team, and we can start to dig into some of the reasons why. Well, well, yeah, and, and we'll we'll certainly get into the reasons why, like you said, but I think the think I think. The thing that people are afraid of is that this Bills team has played down to its competition so much this season. True story. And, and yeah. we haven't we haven't seen that in prior years with Sean McDermott. Um, it's actually, you know, there's a few different statistics that point to the Bills as double digit point, you know, uh, favorites in a game tended to win by double digits most of the time under Sean McDermott in his tenure, especially since Josh Allen arrived. Um, but this year has been a bit of an outlier in that they have won narrow victories or lost narrow losses to teams that um, otherwise, you know, had, you know, they came in with a, with a huge margin of, of victory expected or anticipated as, as favorites and then played down, played a crap, turned the ball over, did different things. So that's, I think what, you know, the trauma you speak to is real. I have it a little bit too. Um, the, the thing that I keep thinking about it, and it's been said by a number of different content creators and people on the beat, um, around Buffalo Bills, uh, is that if the Bills cannot bury this team, and it's not like style points matter, right? Like, they just need to get the win. But it would be really concerning for me, looking at a playoff run, if the Bills come in here to an injury-depleted team that just had its coach turned over and just gave up 63 points to a backup quarterback on Thursday Night Football um, against the Raiders, if the Bills come in here and cannot put this team away in a way that that makes it you know look easy um then that that's concerning for how they are going to travel uh when it comes to playoff time because that you know it's likely they're getting in as a wild card the the division is still on the table possibly 
Um, but really it's, you know, how do you play against teams when you're out of your element? Um, cause that Cowboys victory was at home where the bills have played remarkably better. Um, save the chiefs game. They have not played well on the road other than the commanders, you know, in the first four weeks of the season. So we'll, we'll see. I think that you're right. There's definitely uh, tones of a trap game and, um, with a new coaching staff, you never know what you're going to get. It's just such a talent depleted roster in Los Angeles. And, you know, a quarterback who's starting his second game and has four fumbles in the two games, or, yeah, he's starting his second game, has played in three games, has four fumbles across the previous two games. Um, Sean McDermott also has a remarkably strong record against quarterbacks with less than, you know, three or four starts. Your point on McDermott's success against young QBs is well taken. And I think an added layer to that this season is how this defense is now being schemed. I was in person for the Dallas game and I had a chance to lay eyes on how the defense was playing. Now, keep in mind, uh, we're basically down to like Keanu Reeves and the replacements like level of players. Don't get me wrong. These are these are pro caliber players, but we're rolling out at a lot of positions are backups, backups in the linebacking core in the secondary. Micah Hyde not available for this game. AJ Epineza for this game. And it didn't matter against a really, really good offense. And a lot of it has to do with the pre-snap looks that McDermott is scheming up and that these players, for as well-coached as they are, are executing to perfection. They are confusing veteran QBs like Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes on a regular basis pre- to post-snap. That is going to have a compounding impact on what it does to a young and experienced QB like Easton Stick. To me, JJ, as long as this defense, regardless of the personnel they run out, doesn't take their foot off the gas when it comes to these pre-snap looks and some of the aggression that they're playing with at the line of scrimmage, this sets up to be a pretty long day for these these LA Chargers. Well, and especially if you look at the uh, the pressure rate uh, um, when it comes to the Bills defense is still super high, and we have enough data now from the season to you know make some inferences about how capable they are without even a you know reasonable level of Von Miller play. Um, it's been really nice. And Easton sticks all the snaps he's ever played. He has a abysmal QBR against pressure. And so I think there's great opportunities here. Um, you know, they turned it over five times against the Raiders, which really inflated that score. Um, and it was what it was 63 to 10 or 63 to three. in like the start of the fourth quarter, it was 42, nothing at halftime. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, that's, that's getting fired territory for sure. Um, and I don't expect the bills to do that because I do believe there's a bounce, you know, the teams get energy from the fact that sometimes they're playing for more now than they were before the coach, you know, if they don't believe in what the coach is selling, um, they can maybe believe in themselves and they have pride and they got worked on national TV. So, um, I expect to see them come out with a little bit more fire, but I'll tell you right now, if the Bills are able to get up early and set the tone of that game, especially the veterans who have nothing to play for without a you know playoff berth in their future, are going to be looking at you know tickets to Cabo on the sidelines because it's it's time to to move on and turn the page. Especially those with expiring contracts, they're not going to want to get hurt. They're going to lay it on the line um, just for pride alone. So, you know, I don't want to say anything, you know, cast aspersions about the level of, of commitment or work that Los Angeles Chargers players are going to want to make. I just think that after seeing what the Bills did against 
the um the Dallas Cowboys, how they came up, you know, showed up against the Chiefs. This is a team that has shown better focus and they've shown better, you know, want in these games. And I think that they bring it to LA because without winning out, the division is completely off the table in my mind. They they're, you know, two games behind the Dolphins. They have to have the Dolphins lose at least one if they have any dream of getting the division off of them. And that means that week 18 is for the division because if they finish with a tied record and they sweep the Dolphins, they get, you know, they get the, the division um, and that, you know, seed into the playoffs. So I think they know they they need it. I think they're going to want it. I think we're going to see inspired play. I think we're going to see the things that you're saying about pressure on, on Easton stick um, and the, you know, the disguising of coverage, the rotating of safeties late, the making the pre-snap and post-snap picture different for him. All of those things wreak havoc on a young QB and why McDermott has had such success. And then on top of that, when you're only, you know, receiving targets for the the Chargers um, are, you know, Jalen Guyton, Joshua Palmer, Quentin Johnson as a rookie who has been pretty poor, never shows separation, has a lot of physical gifts, but doesn't really, um, you know, doesn't really use them in any real way. And can't uh, catch the ball. Yeah. He still can't <laughs> catch the ball. Yeah. It's been a disappointment in a lot of ways. So really, you're looking at you know Austin Eckler, who I have so much respect for, is amazing, but is having a little bit Terrible of a down season. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a down year. Gerald Everett is a good tight end. Donald Parham has shown some things as a young tight end, but it's not a lot. They do not have a lot of you know weapons. And again, this Bills team with enough of a sample size now on the front four with pressure is, I think they're going to show some things and and really get Easton Stick in, in a bad position um as they go through this game i think it's gonna be tough for the chargers to really get anything going on offense and so that leaves it to the um the bills offense if the defense can do their job to really make some hay and we've seen so many games this year when the bills were in kind of that slump where the defense showed up and showed out and then the offense pitifully left the, let them down. And so we've changed coordinators. It's looked a lot better with Brady, 30-plus points in two of their three games under him. Um, three, Actually, three of their three four of games. Three of their four, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and with the only you know one short is the, the Chiefs game, and they, they still had a winning effort there against a good defense. So I don't know, man. I think it's – I feel good about it, but I, I understand the shared trauma that's existing out there. I do too, and – and as we were kind of doing our our preseason examination of the schedule, where could some trap games be? Where could some trouble spots be for the Bills? I think everyone pointed to this stretch here at the end of the season where it was going to go Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots, then Dolphins. Everyone expected most of those teams to be good and expected the Patriots also to be better than they have ultimately ended up. But if you had told me preseason we were going to be facing at the end of the year in L.A., an Austin Eckler-led offensive attack with Justin Herbert under center, I would have said this was going to be a trouble game. But the reality is, is Herbert is hurt. The season for the the LA Chargers has not gone in the direction they hoped it would. And Austin Eckler is having a down year. And not only is he having a down year, this is a team that over the past three years has sunk a boatload of calories, calorie, uh, salary cap space into both sides of the line. And JJ, the LA Chargers are losing the battle in the trenches game in and game out. This is a team with a pass block win rate that is 19th in the league. 
yet their salary cap hit for that offensive line, they've got a couple of productive rookie contracts on there, but their salary cap hit is top third in the league. And this is a pass rush win rate that is 25th in the league. So Eckler is having a down year, but he is getting zero help from this line. And then on the other side of the ball, this team is 29th and 21st in those similar defensive splits in pass rush win rate and run stop win rate. This is a team where the investment in draft capital and, and salary cap has not paid off to any great effect. Flip that coin over to the Bills, and those are two units over the course of the past few years you and I have been very critical of, the offensive line and the defensive line. JJ, it is remarkable to me the amount of consistency in the trenches that the Bills are producing day in and day out. And the zenith of that may have very well been that Cowboys game where they physically dominated on both sides of the ball in the trenches. What should have been, I don't want to say superior competition, but definitely competition that was to their level, in my opinion. And the Bills clearly were heads and tails, the better unit on the defensive line and the offensive line. With regard to the offensive line, a lot of that has to do with health and continuity, which the Bills have been very lucky to have. But JJ, it is phenomenal what this team is doing on the defensive side of the ball when you think about, as you mentioned, the underproduction of Von Miller, the injuries that this unit has suffered now to Phillips, but also Epineza throughout the course of the season. We know we lost to Quan Jones on that line as well. The fact that there has been such a minimal slip in play from this defensive line speaks volumes to the effort that the guys on the roster that are left are still putting out there, and also to the coaching acumen of one Sean McDermott, who has been under fire the past few weeks, but deserves a ton of credit for the consistency that that line is playing with. Well, yeah, I think that's a, a great point to kind of like, you know, uh, get out some 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 of my like summary thoughts. Like we're, we're far enough in the week that the Cowboys game is a little bit in the distance. Um, James Cook, you know, AFC pl- Offensive Player of the Week with his first performance, I think, again, you've seen, you know, people have talked about it's now an offense that doesn't just need Josh Allen to put on the cape to win. And we've been talking about that for years now. We need a different component. And you're, I, I agree with you. The the place where this all started was up front in the offensive and defensive lines. And I also agree that Sean McDermott deserves a lot of credit for getting a lot out of a defense that on paper is going to be a little bit older, a little bit slower than many of the competition it faces, but has found a way scheme wise to shut down some of these attacks and some excellent attacks with the um, Eagles, the Chiefs, the Cowboys games. They've either played incredibly close or won outright. Um, and so we've seen amazing things there. He he made Dak Prescott look pedestrian because of the ability they had to kind of rotate coverage and change the pre-snap to post-snap look. Um, they did some more man, and they also had a lot more kind of single high safety trying to close the middle of the field, um, which really stymied Dak Prescott's looks. And I think the biggest thing is, like, you couldn't look at that game film, look at that game back and say that, you know, the Buffalo Bills had an extremely, you know, incredible coverage game where they had an extremely incredible pass rushing game. What they had was a defensive game where everything worked in unison in a really good way. And they basically erased what the Cowboys wanted to do to them. So it was all scheme based. I think that, I mean, on both sides of the game, on both sides of the ball, this was probably the first game of the season I saw from this Buffalo Bills unit um, where I felt like our coaches on the Bills side 
completely destroyed the opposing coaches from the position of putting their players in a place to to succeed. I mean, Joe Brady, you know, planned some some different run looks, and then basically they saw the the box counts and the looks that they wanted to run against, and they just kept kept hitting that button. And Dallas did not sub out their you know two hundred and five pound diminutive linebacker. Um, they just you know the Bills just ran directly at him the entire game, and so that was you know that was smart scheming, and that was the coaches winning. And then like you know to your point on the defensive side, Sean McDermott basically just came up with a way to, you know, identify where Dak Prescott wanted to hit CD Lamb, take away that as an option with some of those bracketed coverages that they highlighted on the broadcast a number of times where Terrell Bernard or Tyrell Dotson in some cases was cutting underneath the CD Lamb route and then he had safety over the top and a corner stuck to him. And it's just like, what are you going to do in that situation? Your basically only option to throw to CD Lamb was to throw into triple coverage and for that, he had, you know, a couple of decent gains, but the one gain he had on a nice underneath route that he turned into a really excellent run after the catch in the first half was the exact same play that um, Christian Benford showed, you know, excellent wherewithal, peeled off of his route and his coverage and was sitting in the hole that that ball ended up sailing into. That's why it looked like such an easy pick. So, um, yeah, I think that the the scheme the scheme in this game was the piece that, kind of shown the star that's shown the brightest for me. And it was, it was a great evolution. I think of Brady on the offensive side of the ball, not just with his scheming, but his play sequence, play call sequencing. You and I in the reaction pod were really critical to, to, of Joe Brady for how he kind of let Spagnolo uh, teach him a lesson, right? Master versus pad one, so to speak. And I was a little bit worried heading into this game that Dan Quinn, who is also a wily defensive coordinator in his own right, if Brady didn't make an adjustment, was going to have similar success. But Brady, to his credit, saw what the Dallas defense was giving him, saw that they did not have either a schematic or personnel counterpunch to any of that, and he simply stuck with what worked. Um, And a lot of the post-game, since the Dallas game, Brady was very candid. He was like, it was not our intention to run James Cook as many times as we did in that game, but we saw how effective it was. We saw Dallas was encountering it. So we figured why go away from something that was, that was working. And that to me is the key difference is Joe Brady is a play caller versus Ken Dorsey as a play caller, not to beat the Dorsey thing to death, but you and I were critical of Dorsey either stubbornly, stubbornly. So sticking to the scheme where he would try to target funnel or force targets to Diggs or to Davis, even when it clearly wasn't working, or his failure to adjust to what the defense was giving him mid-game. That has not been a problem for Brady outside of that Kansas City game. So I think what we're seeing on the offensive side of the ball is a coordinator who knows keenly what the weakness of the defense is, and he's willing to press on that weakness relentlessly until that team counters. So I I thought Brady did a great job in the scheme. And then, yeah, McDermott, I mean, dude, we played a ton of dime in that Dallas game. We basically stayed in dime. A lot of that was because um, the lead that the offense got the team out to, we knew that running the ball for Dallas, who, who are not a great running team to begin with, was not going to be a factor. But we were able to play in a schematic set that was comfortable for us, that allowed us to do a lot of the things pre-snap that we wanted to do but also play the coverages that we wanted to as well. 
I mean, honestly, this looked a lot like the Miami game and the way that we bracketed and we played, um, we played cover six over CD lamb. We were doing the same or, um, Tyree kill. We were doing the same thing with CD lamb, um, with a few added wrinkles to it. So props to this coaching staff for, and I'm going to say it out coaching the opposing team, which is something as bills fans, we have not been able to say a whole lot. And JJ, I think that's a good segue to get into the LA game. Because this should be another game, as we have already alluded to, where from a personnel standpoint, but also from a coaching standpoint, with LA being a team that is in true transition as an organization, this should be a game that we have a lot of advantages on, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, when you look at the LA Chargers, they are, you know, they're, they're, it seems like every year they're suffering from some sort of terrible injury luck. Um, And this year is no different. Keenan Allen out for this game, their best wide receiver. Justin Herbert, of course, out for the year with a broken finger on his uh, throwing hand. Uh, Mike Williams, who's a, who is a wide receiver. That's like basically all I can say about him. It's been sort of disappointing uh, his entire career because he's either injured or just ineffective. But then there's, there's flashes of this amazing down-the-field pass catcher. He's out. He's on IR. Um, you know, their backup center is on IR. And their starting center, Corey Lindsley, is who is probably their one of their best offensive linemen. He's out, so they're playing a third string uh, center on defense. You know they're down their uh, left cornerback, uh, Dean Leonard, is out. So and they're of course you know, don't want to bury the lead. Joey Bosa, their excellent pass rusher, is down. So they have Tuli uh, Tupolotu, who is a rookie and a person who's who's shown some flashes here and there. Um, and then, of course, Khalil Mack, uh, fellow UB alum, um, and late in his career, but still chasing. I think he's got like 12 or 13 sacks or something ridiculous. So, um, But he had seven in one game. So he, he gets them in bunches, and he has a number of games without a single sack. So when you look at this team, um, also Derwin James, good safety, has had a down year. Doesn't seem to know what he's doing is because he's playing all the positions of defense because they don't have enough talent elsewhere. Correct. So he's yeah. he's sometimes roam, roaming the deep middle. Sometimes he's in the box. Sometimes he's playing slot corner. Sometimes he's playing like sort of a heavy nickel um, linebacker role. And he's not seeming to be able to do any of them very well, which is tough to watch because he's an excellent player. He has been his whole career. Um, but yeah, it's it's a team that has been, you know, racked by injuries. They also, you know, for Brandon Staley during his tenure, um, they never seem to settle on any one scheme. They're a base 3-4 defense, but they don't do any particular 3-4 over, 3-4 under um, alignment well. They don't tend to be a predominant cover 2, cover 3 zone team or press man team. Like, they just seem to never have an identity and get roasted regardless of their talent they have some talent on defense so um you had some stats on uh on kind of where they are in dboa epa right oh yeah absolutely so um you know me i always bring these numbers to the table so here it is the comparison of our beloved buffalo bills to the lowly la chargers heading into the game on saturday so currently in passing epa and rushing epa the bills are fourth and third respectively so to know that is a bit of a dip, um, one rank each from the Dorsey days, uh, since Brady has taken over. But I think what these numbers illustrate JJ a is that there is no one single number that tells us how good a team is, no matter how much we would like that. 
But two, there is a difference between efficiency and effectiveness. And under Brady, I think it's hard to argue this Bills team is not more effective under Brady. Um, the Chargers, on the other hand, 11th in passing EPA, but obviously we've only had one week of Easton stick. That number is very likely to come down. A lot of that is still Herbert and his influence on the offense before he got injured. And then rushing EPA, 29th in the league. It's a negative score for these Chargers when they try to rush the ball. So what that means for the folks listening at home is that basically every time the Chargers hand the ball off, they are theoretically costing themselves points on the scoreboard. When you get to the defensive side of the ball, passing defense EPA, the Bills are still a top 10 unit. And again, a credit to this coaching staff and McDermott in particular. And then rushing defense EPA per play, uh, very similar to, to what it's been all season. They're sitting right squarely in the middle of the league at 15th, not giving up anything, not gaining anything. The rush defense is serviceable at this point. Um, to be, but to be expected when the Bills are playing so many nickel and dime looks. The Chargers, on the other hand, 28th in both passing defensive DPA and rushing uh, EPA as well. So this is a Charger team with not a lot of bright spots throughout the course of the year. Um, and, and JJ, again, I, I don't want to speak too confidently, but it feels like at least on paper, this game should not be a competitive game for too long. Well, and that's and that's the hope too. Is I think that you know, um, as I said at the on the front, you know, when we were kind of previewing what we thought about this game, you know, McDermott very good about rookie quarter or very good against rookie quarterbacks. McDermott actually, as the play caller, is something we haven't seen against a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback since maybe Sam Howell this season. And so there's an opportunity here for the Buffalo Bills to to show you know, what a Sean McDermott called defense can do differently because up to this point, all those statistics about how good he is about against young quarterbacks were from a Leslie Frazier called D for the most part. And so I think that this is, this will be an opportunity for, for McDermott to kind of put his stamp on one of these games where he shows, you know, how his scheme can really stymie and stifle somebody who hasn't seen a lot of looks in the NFL um, or played at that NFL level. I worry a little bit about this game. Um, of course, you know, the trap notion, are the Bills going to show up flat, those sorts of things. But also, Easton Stick is like a fantastic athlete. He's not a great quarterback when it comes to throw, pocket passing, but he is incredibly fast and had, you know, something like 2,800 rushing yards in his college career. So I worry a little bit about that for the same reason that teams worry about facing the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen running the ball is when you come out, when it comes down to box counts and you add your quarterback into the rushing attack, you get an 11-on-11 game. If your quarterback is just handing the ball off, it's 10-on-11, and you have an advantage on defense. And so there's a chance, you know, I don't really love the the offensive line for the Chargers. I don't think that the wide receivers are exceptionally good at blocking. Um, but there's a chance that they dial up some of the QB run stuff with Easton Stick to try to lean into, you know, him as a, as a weapon. And we'll see, you know, I'm trying to think of a, Who's the guy in the Saints that they, you know, is like quarterback tight end? And, Taysom Hill. Yeah, Taysom Hill. See some Taysom Hill type package stuff. And because they're going to, if they want to win this game, I feel like the Chargers have to pull out every stop. I don't think that their defense is going to be able to slow down the Bills offense. So they're going to need to try some things, some wild things. Yeah, absolutely. And you want to flip to the offensive side of the ball for the Bills and talk a little bit about that? I think, J.J., for me, this is a pick-your-poison type of thing if you're, the, if you're the L.A. Chargers. 
the passing offense has been, I don't want to say hibernating the last two games. It was very effectively schemed away to a large extent against the, the Chiefs, um, particularly in the way that they, they took away digs. And the Cowboys were committed to it too. Um, but at some point, these defensive coordinators that the Bills are facing are going to have to make a choice. Are you going to continue to let the, this Bills squad chew you up underneath and destroy you in the run game as you play light boxes to prioritize resources at shutting down our outside wide receivers? Or are you going to eventually reprioritize some of those defensive players to stopping what the Bills are doing? And that is going to be the pivot point that I'm interested in seeing from Brady. Because if the Chargers, uh, which is, they are not a defense like the Chiefs that can play multiple. If the Chargers come out with light boxes and they are signaling to everyone, we are going to go ahead and we are going to shut down Davis, we are going to shut down Diggs, and we're going to let uh, the Bills running backs and Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox beat us. That is going to be very telling. If it doesn't happen, or if the Chargers, Chargers adjust mid-game and they decide to prioritize more resources to the middle of the field in the box, It'll be interesting to see how Brady decides to get Diggs and Davis involved, because that's something that we haven't seen to great effect yet. Davis is not running a lot of creative routes, and he has effectively in the Joe Brady era been a, been a pass blocker. We saw a lot of targets to Diggs in that Kansas City Chiefs game, but a lot of it were screens. A lot of it was gimmicky, just stuff that looked like he was very, very forcefully trying to get Diggs involved, like he was trying to force the game to him. We have not seen Brady scheme for these two wide receivers in a way that is more natural uh, based on what the defense is giving you. So I'll be very curious to see that if the Chargers decide to prioritize middle of the field and dumping more players into the box, how Diggs and Davis then factor into the scheme. Well, and I think too that that's, that's going to be, that's, some of that is going to be the pride of the, the Chargers and the players, the Chargers coaching staff and that sort of thing is the scheme that they try to elect against this Buffalo Bills team is going to tell you right away how seriously they want to actually win. It's possible that they play some younger talent and come out with like, you know, very vanilla type defensive approach and try to just play their like foundational unit defense. And I think the Bills are going to chew that up no problem. And so I'll be curious to see if this Chargers defense tries to add some wrinkles or tries to get pressure or tries to um, hit the the Buffalo Bills in some some weak spots, things like maybe lining up Khalil Mack on the inside over Osiris Torrance for a snap or two, things like sending Derwin James, James and Khalil Mack from the same side, because that's something the Chargers haven't done this season as much that it seems weird to not do this. But Derwin James is one of the best pass-rushing DBs in the league, and they have not used him in that regard, like hardly at all. And so, and it's largely because he's covering up for so many flaws in the back end of that defense and he'll, they'll, he'll still have that responsibility. But you know, if you, if you're a new coaching staff, you might want to just pull all the levers and all the triggers you can. And one of them might be Derwin James safety blitzes from either edge, you know, uh, behind Khalil Mack or opposite Khalil Mack to see if he can make some havoc and chaos back there. So there, there are some things I'm also curious, same as you, does this Buffalo Bills passing attack get going. We we haven't seen much from any of the wide receivers since Joe Brady took over. It hasn't been a focus of any of his game plans. Um, you know, a little bit of Khalil, Khalil Shakur work um, over the first couple of games of the Brady era. 
but that's not, you know, uh, that seemed more like a reaction by Josh Allen to teams taking away digs or trying to take away digs and Davis having longer developing routes, which has always been a thing with Gabriel Davis. It's part of the offensive design. They send him over the top. And so if Josh Allen has any pressure at all, Gabe Davis is basically off the table. So it's interesting. I think it's tough. It'll be tough for Gabe Davis to get a second contract that's lucrative if he continues to get zero targets, zero catches, no touchdowns. Um, all right, JJ, are you ready for what we are all here for? Uh, prediction sure to go wrong. That's why people keep coming back to hear us make fools of ourselves on the podcast universe. All right. So why don't we start with score? Where do you sit with the final score? I see. This is going to be sort of disappointing for all the Bills Mafia out there who are like, ooh, I want to see a 50 burger. Um, But I see the Bills, even though the Raiders did that, you know, 63 points is obscene. Um, I see the Bills probably putting up 28 or so. I could see him getting over 30, but I think it's going to be a 28 to 13 type of game. And I think that the 13 probably comes with a field goal and touchdown in the fourth frame um, with a lot of Kyle Allen time. Interesting. Interesting. I, um, listen, I have, I have retraced all of my former missteps in cursing our beloved Buffalo Bills as they enter a game where they should handily win. And yet I feel like as I put nonsense and overconfidence into the universe, that somehow has dragged them back down to reality. I'm going to say Bills 27, uh, Chargers 10. Um, I, I, think, I think there is going to be an emotional boost, as you mentioned, from a lot of these Chargers players kind of coming out from under the shadow of the Brandon Staley era. And there's been a lot of great stuff written by The Athletic and ESPN on how that era came to an end and what it was like. Um, and I won't get into too many details on it, but I can tell you that anyone who's worked in a work culture is the one that is described in the Chargers locker room. Um, there's always a sense of newfound freedom, independence, and a, and a wherewithal to do your job uh, when leaders of that nature are removed from their positions. So I do think there's going to be a legitimate boost to this Chargers team, and I think it gets them a touchdown early on, but then I think the Bills clamp it down and do what we know they can do, which is win this game pretty handily. So I'm going to go 27-10. I like it. I like it. I think that um, I hope and I think that this could be one of those games that has like a 27-13, 28-17 type score that feels way less stressful than that score would indicate. You know what I mean? Like we've seen a couple of Bills games throughout the years where they cover the spread, they get ahead early, um, and they dominate top to bottom. But for some reason, a few drives end in um, you know, field goals or the opponents have some long drives that shortens the game. And it just really, you know, you're never really worried about it. Um, but the score doesn't look like a blowout. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree with that. All right. Prop bets. Um, I've got one for you. All right. Over under half a defensive score for the Buffalo bills. And I say this with last Thursday's game against the Raiders and the chargers fully in mind where the Raiders were so ready for a lot of the behind the line of scrimmage screens, the dink and dunk game that they figured the Chargers would roll out with a new QB and Easton stick at the helm. Um, he's had a little bit of a longer week to get acclimated to the offense they want to run. So, but it's hard to shake those turn. It's hard to shake turnovers of that nature. 
And I don't think there is a complete regression to the meme for meme for stick. So I think the bills are going to pull a couple of, uh, turnovers. But the question for you, JJ is, will one of them lead to a score? Well, I mean, the, the preternatural ability of Jack Jones and the Raiders team to grab the wide receiver screen out that of the air, unbelievable one handed while in a full kind of leaping sprint to the end zone was just bananas. They just knew it was coming. And I'll say this, I'll qualify my response. I think a, a defensive touchdown happens if AJ Epineza plays. Mm, oh, batting down some of those, yes. those lateral passes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yep. Because I do think, I, I do agree with you that there's going to be, there's the Chargers probably only path to victory is going to be trying to get Austin Eckler in space. And so I could see some pitches and some screens and different things like that that put the ball in into harm's way a little bit if the Bills come in prepared for them. And then on top of that, like I said, and, and you know, off the jump, Easton Stick has four fumbles in two games. So he's not a player who has been shown to have very good ball security. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Like I said, it's hard to regress the meme uh, back to the meme uh, on turnovers like that in just one week of extra preparation. So I've got a prop for you, my friend. What do you got? Stefan Diggs, 100 yard plus receiving game. I mean, this feels like it should be the case, right? Asante Samuel Jr., um, solid DB to me, not one that can keep up with Stefan Diggs one on one. Um, and even if the Chargers bring a, a help over the top with James or another member of that secondary, as you've noted, that that safety duo for LA is having a down year. James is having a down year. He seems spread really, really thin. Now that was under Staley, who was a head coach who called defensive plays. So that could very well change for this game. Um, but if any of the patterns that this LA Chargers defense have laid out for us before in are indicative of this game, I, I would say Diggs. Diggs exposes what is a very weak secondary and has a has a breakout game under Joe Brady. I'd love to see it. I think that's it. I think that's it for me and my props. Um, I'd like to see Greg Rousseau have a big game, but I don't know what stat I think that's going to appear as. I'm just waiting for him to kind of put a stamp on things because I think it's fine for him as a first round pick to make a career uh, as a solid run and edge defender who gets maybe five sacks a year and has occasional impact plays that very much feels like a Tremaine Edmonds arc though from and so I would hope to get more from him as a first round pick so hopefully we see a big Greg Rousseau game that would be my other prop is is you know over under half of an impact play whether it's tackle for loss sack um you know uh interception something like that but we'll see what happens Nice. Yeah. I, I just kind of want to see a healthy Greg Rousseau game. Like, I, yeah. I feel like we haven't seen that in, in a season and a half. Greg Rousseau playing healthy, playing at a hundred percent. Cause I think that version of Greg Rousseau can be a game changer, can be a, a 10 sack a season guy. I just, I just don't know. And with his frame being as kind of unusually large and unwieldy as it is, I just wonder if we're ever going to see a dude of that size with that kind of flexibility truly be healthy and truly be able to hit their ceiling. But yeah. that is speculation for another day. But I agree with you. I'd love to see a big Greg Rousseau game. I have one more prop, EDBD yeah. prop before we end. Dalton Kincaid over under one and a half drops. 
<laughs> so yeah, yeah. So the, so he had two drops in the Dallas game, and you can blame the weather, you can blame whatever. Yeah. But this is a a player who was very sure-handed in college. He has come to the NFL, and he has a drop problem. Now, granted, he is catching fireballs from Josh Allen that are basically um, thrown at him at point-blank range. But he had two very, very critical drops in that Dallas game. After the first drop, the Bills on the very next offensive series went right back to him on the first play, and I loved it because I was thinking in my head, go back to Kincaid, get him worked into the game because you need some semblance of a passing threat. Because at that game, at that point, the game was not fully put away. They go back to him. I'm like, yes. And I'm cheering from my seat. And then I see him drop. And I'm like, eh, they should probably not throw to him again for yeah. the rest of the game. Yep. And they didn't. Right. So drops are something this kid's got to figure out. Maybe his injury status has something to do with it. But the drops have been a persistent problem yeah. for him this season. So over under one and a half drops, JJ. I'm going to go under. It's a, it was a thumb injury. And it, by all accounts, he has an opportunity to like re- rehab it enough this week. But I think that he was kind of in the middle of it with the, the elements, with the piss missiles, as we like to say on this podcast, that Josh Allen whips out there. Um, I think that it was, a uh, you know, there was, there was a lot of factors. I still trust Kincaid's hands. And I think that he has under 1.5 drops in this game. Um, and as we go farther away from the injury, uh, barring another setback with the injury, I think that he, you know, continues to improve that. Um, that particular factor. I'm going to go under two, but I'd love to see more consistency out yeah. of him. The beginning yes. of the season was not his fault. Nothing was game planned for him. But really, from week six or seven on, he's been a featured part of the offense. And granted, rookie tight ends tend to struggle, but a lot of it has been poor execution on his part as to why yep. he's at where he's at right now. Still having a good year, don't get me wrong, but we expect more from a first-round pick that we hope will... Uh, supplant Gabe Davis should Davis move on as the number two target for Josh Allen on this offense. So for sure. All right, JJ, that's it. Welcome to your, welcome <laughs> to your first podcast well, as a dad. I know I've got, I've got one tiny like final comment before we close out here. Um, a, a scouting report on my son, Theo. Oh, let's for, hear it. We're the know, combine numbers. It's yeah. It's the well, one week scouting report that is, you know, it, it'll matter in the draft in like 21 years and five months. Um, <laughs> not that we're he, counting. Yeah, he he's in the he's in the 80, 80th percentile. He's a, an average, you know, length and weight baby, but he's in the 80th percentile in head circumference and oh. uh and abdominal girth. So I think we got maybe a center on our hands. Oh my god, that would be amazing. That would so, be absolutely you know, amazing. The, the intelligence and the and the and the denseness, I think, points to offensive line. But we'll see. I, I agree. I agree. You need smart, girthy people on the line. Yes, so. Exactly. <laughs> may may Theo rise to that destiny, <laughs> sir. <laughs> we appreciate that. Awesome. Awesome. So for all of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Google, Apple, Spotify. Feel free to drop us a review. And as always, go Bills. Go Bills. <laughs>